The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to shorts and tees and bikinis. And for anything I'm trying to update in my wardrobe, I'm not trying to spend a small fortune. Let me tell you about Quince, because I just found a bikini, top and bottom, $50. High quality, $25 for the top, $25 for the bottom. There is a certain Australian shearling slipper that I've been looking for, and I found it for $50 on Quince. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash Lexi for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Lexi to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash Lexi. Okay, I'm going to get a little sad girl for a second. But Mother's Day is around the corner. And if your mother is still in your life, a really unique gift that you could get is my life in a book. How it works is that every week, mylifeinabook.com will send your mom questions via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or custom questions that you wish to ask. And then she can either type her response or record her voice. And My Life in a Book compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Oh my god, I'm gonna cry. And then they can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. So it's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. Woo! If you're interested, check out mylifeinabook.com and use code Lexi at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's M Y L I F E I N A b-o-o-k.com and use code Lexi for 10% off today. Hi, it's Lexi Lombard, the host of the At Lexi podcast, and I'm in a chipper, happy mood. It is the first sunny day that we've had in three days here in California, specifically in Los Angeles, and I fell deep. And I remember this being a complaint last time I lived in California where there were too many sunny days in a row. God, what a champagne problem. But in New York, which is all I had to really compare it to, I guess Virginia, um, when there'd be a stormy day or a cloudy day or a rainy day, you had an excuse to be in a mood. And sometimes we're moody. We're moody creatures. So having too many sunny days when your psyche was desiring to get into a homebody couch potato hole, but you have gorgeous sunny weather surrounding your windows, what are you supposed to do? Give in to the psyche or participate in the beautiful world that's out there? So having three days in a row of gloom put me in quite the moody state. Also PMSing, also reading the saddest of books, which that's today's topic. Reading and books. I have recently taken it upon myself to participate in a 24-hour reading challenge. And this is a popular challenge on YouTube within the BookTube community. And there's two ways that people have gone about it. One is setting a timer for 24 hours and reading consecutively or keeping track of your reading and document 
24 hours worth of time spent reading, which is what I opted for. The first option seems, first of all, undesirable, but second of all, with no fulfillment towards the end, whereas I'm currently one third of the way through this 24-hour challenge and I am already discovering elements about myself and about reading that I didn't know prior. You'll have to watch the video to figure out the rest. Yeah, I'm eight hours into the 24-hour challenge. So I only spent eight hours this weekend reading, but my memory feels as if I spent the entire weekend reading, which it's very interesting to think about a chunk that I only spent four hours each day this weekend reading, but it really felt like such a large portion of my weekend. I also spent the weekend in. I needed a weekend of solitude, which is so unlike me. I was A, incredibly motivated by this reading challenge. Also, I had begun reading a really juicy novel. I'll get into the books that I'm reading in a second, but I wanted to finish that. So I literally had a going out outfit on, makeup on, <laughs> sitting in my bed, turning pages and then as soon as I finished the book I got in the uber and I went out but I was not leaving until that book was finished and then I read a heart-wrenching novel this weekend as well and it oh, had a really personal impact on me the type of books that I'm reading have such an impact on me the type of content I'm consuming the type of people I follow the movies I watch, the shows I watch, the YouTubers I watch have a bit of an impact on my mood. Let me break down the eight hours that I participated in thus far. I had intended on reading The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion, which I had been recommended several times after I lost my mom. My mom crossed onto the other side and I didn't read it for whatever reason. And then when Jeanette McCurdy came out with, I'm glad my mom died, I personally had just avoided it. It was an incredibly popular record-selling book, but because of the title, I thought that I could end up building resentments towards either her or worse, my own mom. And I had kind of decided that's not a book for me. There's another popular book going around right now that also is the story of a a mother-daughter love and loss story that I've just had to avoid because I'm not ready. It's a story that I'm too vulnerable and too wounded from. I'm still healing from it to read something like that for pleasure. However, one of my best friends had read I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy and had recommended it to me, said, I don't think this will be triggering for you, even though might I take a quick tangent to say that if you are an easily triggered person in a various amount of categories. If you plan on reading this book per my recommendation, I would just check. I would just check because there's a lot of areas that are covered. Um, and if you're not desensitized by the world around you yet, that's beautiful. Just give it a little check. Anyway, had a best friend recommend this book to me and I made a mental note of it. And then he and I were watching Jeanette McCurdy's interview on the Drew Barrymore show on YouTube and first of all that interview is so sweet and it was so sweet 
I should say that not only did I get the book, I paused the interview. We drove to the bookstore. I purchased that book at 8.45 that evening and began reading it and read it over the course of a day and a half. And let me just say to those wondering, it did not trigger my personal relationship with my mom whatsoever. If anything, I found this book to be really funny. She does a great job at taking the insanity that is her reality. You know, she's clearly been in the thick of it since day one. You know, childhood was hard. Tweenhood, hard. Teenagehood, very difficult. Now she's in her early adulthood and is just starting to climb out of all of this adversity that she's been facing, but to the point of comedy. She's a funny girl and she's a funny writer. She's a really great writer. A lot of times when celebrities are making their tell-alls, it's just bullet points of facts. You know, this was childhood. This is tweenhood. This is adolescence. This is young adulthood. These were my 30s, you know? Whereas that gave that to us, but it all felt relevant and it all completed a story arc. There was an overarching plot that was really intriguing and that was her relationship with her mom and the book is set with the first half being before her mom's death and the second half being after her mom's death and all of the subplots are equally as entertaining and it feels that every detail even when it feels potentially irrelevant while reading it comes back around and you see why that was a necessary detail. And it was so incredibly well written. I, I'm at five stars, five stars. And I'm glad that I read that before The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion because had I read it the other way around, if I read that one first, I probably wouldn't pick up. I'm glad my mom died, at least not immediately after. So now let's talk about The Year of Magical Thinking and what that book did to me. The Year of Magical Thinking is a biography by Joan Didion. She is a popular writer, but not just for her biographies, for her fiction novels. So you're gonna find a handful of her novels in the fiction section and then a handful in the biography section. And it's her story surrounding the unexpected death of her husband. And that hit so much harder. Jeanette's mother died of cancer. She had had cancer once before, it came back, it was something that was looming. There was a cloud basically all along. Joan was thinking it was an ordinary day when it happened. And, oh my God, it just makes me think of my dad. My dad was in the room. Oh, oh my God. Just talk about the book. Talk about whatever, everything's fine. Me parenting myself real quick. Whoa. I lost my mom the same way cardiac arrest without warning and you wake up and expect nothing and one day that's supposed to be an ordinary day is not and she breaks down in detail what mourning and grieving and the raw exposure you feel when experiencing a loss, I truly, this weekend, relived my mom's death from the day all over again. And the fact that words on a piece of paper, literally human-created shapes stamped on a piece of paper, can have that impact is, of course, beautiful. 
but incredibly unsettling. The emotions that I had forgotten that I felt during the initial passing, my mom passed last year. Irritability was a huge one. I felt really raw and really... um, Editing, Lexi, the word I was looking for is exposed. I feel and felt incredibly exposed during that time and then once again while reading. It was really sensitive and touchy and tense and was resentful of how other people were grieving. In a lot of ways, I felt that I was grieving correctly and everyone else was grieving incorrectly and that's simply not fair. But at the time, that's how it felt. And I remember in the beginning portion of reading this book, I became incredibly irritable. Two of my friends and I, we went on an afternoon walk and I was so oversensitive and moody and annoyed. And, you know, they're they're great girls, okay? Love them. And they were doing absolutely nothing wrong. And I knew it was completely being impacted by the book. It's just unnerving that that is a possibility. I know I'm sensitive. I know I'm sensitive and hyper aware of my emotions and my feelings. This is just a very raw, unhealed wound and it's fresh. And to read something that is so detailed and to be able to have this book build me up to such anger and such annoyance and then hollow me out and break me was an emotional roller coaster that I went through this weekend. So no wonder I did not go out. I spent my Saturday night and my Friday night inside reading. And to make matters even more unbelievable, this has only been eight hours. I still have 16 hours left in this challenge. I am one third of the way through, okay? Each book took me four hours, which is also the next point that I wanted to make. When I'm reading, typically, I'm only reading for 20 to 40 minutes at a time every day or every few days. So it'll take me a week or two to read a book. And I've looked at Audible before. I've used audiobooks. And sometimes books are 12, 15, 20, 30 hours of listening. And I wouldn't have thought that the reading pace would have been that much faster. I had no idea if someone were to ask me how long it takes me to read a book. I would have said 10 hours if I had to really guess. I had no idea that it was such a short amount of time. That's barely my phone screen time. What is my screen time? Guys, when I was in Paris, my screen time was so low. I was averaging 21 minutes a day. That means you're really living. Okay, my current daily screen time is one hour and 38 minutes that's still really low i've had it way way up before i've had my screen time say seven hours um so don't for a second think that this has been the case all along but that's a really doable screen time i feel that's healthy an hour 38 not bad so what am i gonna read next oh no 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 no. before we get into that let's talk about how this all begins so on the flight to paris i began reading cleopatra and frankenstein and that's a love story um, between two people. I talk about it more in the episode of my time in Paris, if you want to listen to that. And I just got really enveloped in the story, and it was a quick read. So read that, then stayed up the next night finishing it, 
And then I went to the bookstore once I had some time and I picked up another book that was on my to-be-read list called The Dangers of Smoking in Bed. And that's a collection of short stories. Began that book, finished it shortly after beginning. And those were two books that were... I don't think Cleopatra and Frankenstein's five star. I'd probably give it maybe like four. Um, where it was good, but then when I compare it, you know, Jeanette McCurdy's and obviously Joan Didion's, easy five stars, where I read that book and there were so many elements that gave it such a good rating, whereas Cleopatra and Frankenstein was easy to read, easy to comprehend, relatively fast-paced, entertaining, and had a good-looking cover. So it did the job. Whereas when I read I'm Glad My Mom Died... And when I read The Year of Magical Thinking, those books either had me emoting out loud or were, I don't want to compare the two of them. It's just the last two books that I've read. I'm I'm glad my mom died. When I finished it, I thought that's what a book should do. It tied up all loose ends. It gave an arc. It had subplots that felt entertaining and necessary. She told me a story changed my opinion on her, and left an impact on me. And then I just went through the year of magical thinking. That book um, ate me up and swallowed me whole and then somehow threw me up and I am just like left as remnants. That's how it feels. It, it was so much. And there's this dry middle in my opinion as well. So it was really the beginning and end that did this to me. The beginning, the middle part had a subplot that I just didn't care for that much and she also is so detail-oriented so she's referencing every single quote that she thinks of and you see the study that it's from and she becomes very obsessed with hospital terminology and medical terminology that way she can feel that she has this uh i don't know somewhat essence of control around loved ones being sick and in hospital care she wants to feel okay i i might because i read up no more than the doctors right i can keep them in check i you know i have strength here i um i have control here when she doesn't so there's a lot of medical terms that i was like i don't really care about this but i understand its purpose so on my to be read list if i go to story graph which is what i'm currently using to log my books i really like how the reading challenges work on this app but I had Goodreads before. I still technically have Goodreads, and I'm entertaining the idea of after this year is over going back to Goodreads. Why? Okay, it's taking a while to load, so I'm going to take a sip of coffee. The book that I have in my bag with me is A Little Life. I'm sure a ton of you have read it, and if you haven't read it, you've heard of it. It's a big, thick novel that is also supposed to be incredibly sad, The one thing I didn't emote during the year of magical thinking were tears. I still feel I need a release. (laughs) If you were to ask my friend and roommate why I would possibly pick this book up when I've been a shell all weekend, she wouldn't understand. She'd be like, Lexi, why are you doing this to yourself? This seems dumb. That's what she would say. She would not understand why I need to do this. But I know myself better than anyone else. And if I'm looking for a good cry, goddammit, I will give myself one. Second option is American Psycho. That I read the first page of last night. And it's a lot of words with really small margins. 
and I hate to call myself a reading snob, but I am. Okay, there's a lot of books that I won't read simply because of their covers. Do I judge a book by its cover? 100%. I need to be recommended a book by several trusted accounts to read a book with an ugly cover. And for those of you who would like ideas of what I believe to be an ugly cover, because we might have differing opinions on what an ugly cover is, I believe anything by Colleen Hoover is an ugly cover. Malibu Rising, horrible. The embarrassment that I felt to hold that on the New York subway system was palpable. Covers that I think are perfect, Black Swans, Eve Babbitt's. American Psycho, impeccable cover. Cleopatra and Frankenstein was a really great cover as well. Tom Robbins, even Cowgirls Get the Blues, incredible cover. Those are things I want to be holding in public. Book lovers, you could not catch me dead with that book in my hands. I've wanted to read A Song of Achilles. That's one that I will potentially, potentially break my opinion on. Yeah. I think that's a huge reason I don't read romance novels is because I don't want to hold the covers. I don't want to hold the books, which even in the privacy of my own home, I'm a book snob. Now, let's get into your questions about reading and books. I asked on my Instagram. My handle's at Lexi, just like the name of this podcast. I said, since all I've done this week is read books, that will be this week's podcast topic. Ask away. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. I was so lucky as a kid. I never had seasonal allergies. It was not something I dealt with. And then something switched in my mid-20s and I started developing seasonal allergies and my allergies throw off my whole morning. So let me tell you about Astapro. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. I think it's important to mention that Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays can take hours. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy noses, and sneezing. I only recently learned about Astapro. I wish I knew about it sooner. If you're interested, get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. You know the week before your period? I would argue that it's worse than your actual period. I feel like I want to crawl out of my skin. I have crazy cravings, I feel down, I feel like my head's going to explode, and I think I hate myself and everything around me, and I'm on the verge of a menti B, and I do not know why. Then I start bleeding, and I'm like, ah, oh, got it, for sure. Now it's easier than ever to manage PMS with Estro Control. Happy Mammoth is the company that created Hormone Harmony, as well as Estro Control, and is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means only using science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code LEXI, L-E-X-I-E, at checkout. That's happymammoth, H-A-P-P-Y-M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use the code LEXI for 15% off today. Are you looking for a new and healthier way to unwind? Let me tell you about Recess Mood. It's infused with functional ingredients. It's not just a sparkling water. 
It has mood lifting magnesium and stress balancing adaptogens so you can relax without the alcohol or the hangover. It comes in four delicious flavors, strawberry rose, tropical bliss, blood orange, and raspberry lemon. I think raspberry lemon's my favorite. I do like strawberry rose a lot as well. I love a fun beverage. It's nice to crack one open, pour it over ice, to unwind at home, chill on the couch, treat yourself to a night in. It's a great replacement for alcohol. It's also a way to stay balanced while on the go when you're running errands. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. So head to takearecess.com slash Lexi and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Let's talk wellness, ladies. I know some of you love yourself. A new wellness brand, something to hop on, and let me tell you about Fleur Marche. They deliver simple, quality, and affordable wellness solutions. Founded by women and inspired by the female dreamers, hustlers, and activists on the front lines of change, their mission is to help you feel 100% every single day with fun and easy-to-understand plant-powered wellness products. Their plant-based wellness patches deliver ingredients topically. These ingredients are then absorbed into the skin and into the bloodstream. You just stick it right on your skin. They're vegan, cruelty-free, latex-free, tested for pesticides, herbicides, and other contaminants before and after production. Find your new wellness essentials at fleurmarche.com and get a special discount just for the Alexi listeners. Get 20% off your first order site-wide with promo code LEXI at checkout. Orders over $50 get free shipping. Go to F-L-E-U-R-M-A-R-C-H-E.com and use code LEXI for 20% off your first order. Oh, Isabella asks for thoughts on Colleen Hoover. How appropriate. Would I want to trade bank accounts with Colleen Hoover? Absolutely. For sure. Would I want Lexi Lombard replaced as the name on all of her books? Absolutely not. I've read one by her. I read Verity. And it was run-of-the-mill, garden-variety, horny thriller. I think she's doing what she does well. It's just not my type. But she's just someone that's easy to pick on. Asha Hickok said that I've talked about Eve Babbitt's a lot before. What originally drew you to Eve's work? Um, Two trusted friends had both read Slow Days Fast Company. And then one of them ended up reading Black Swans. And I was itching for a book. And so he lent it to me. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know really anything about Eve Babbitt's. I went into it blind and I had never read such a sexy, smart, kind of naughty woman speak with such eloquence and intrigue. I identified with her in a lot of ways and I looked up to her in a lot of other ways. I finally felt that I could make something of myself and still be myself. If I want to give a little history on, you know, my work and my existence on the internet, I definitely was a YouTube girl and I was in the era of good girls. You weren't allowed to misbehave. That wasn't socially accepted yet. So I chose to hide that and hide a lot of my stories and it felt like some of my best stories and the stories that made me me were never going to make it out because they were unprofessional. And Eve Babbitt's is a genius. She's a professional bad girl. She's a professional socialite. She's smart as a whip. And I was originally drawn to her work by two friends who kind of identify with that lifestyle or mentality, I suppose, as well. And went into a blind and left number one fan. Anna Lloyd asked the ultimate question, hardcover or paperback? 
without a doubt, there's no question in my mind, 110%, if I have the choice, I am choosing paperback every time. I am not gentle with my books. I fold my pages. I break the spines. I will use pens or markers in the margins or underlining lines that I like. I am not precious with my books. My books are tools. My books are friends. My books are pastimes and it's paperback for me. Alyssa Lewis asked, I am in such a reading slump. Help, please. If you're in a reading slump, You're either not reading something that has enough juice, you're not setting aside time for it, or you're not reading something that you're interested in. Because sometimes I will chew through a nonfiction book really fast. I remember when I was struggling a lot with time management, I was reading, you know, Malibu Rising or whatever. Some sort of quick, thrilling, juicy story. But it wasn't, I wasn't, reading that fast and I wasn't very into it because I honestly needed to read something more pressing, which in that case was something to help my time management. So I read this book called Essentialism and I tore through that because it was information that I needed and information that I found to be incredibly valuable. So if you've been in the fiction category for a little too long, maybe it's time to swap over and vice versa. There's tons of things you can do. Also, if you want a little motivation, go on TikTok and type in book talk or go on YouTube and type in my favorite books of all time, books I couldn't put down. And seeing someone so incredibly excited about a book will probably get you really excited about a book. And you could be like me and pause the video halfway and run to the bookstore. Jayla Cape asked for the one book you thought you would love but hated. This is a book I saw all over Book Talk, and I liked the cover, and I liked the plot, so I bought it with the highest of hopes, thinking it was going to rank top 10, at least. And that's a book called A Certain Hunger. It's the story of a female psychopath that's killing and eating her prospects, her lovers, and I found the book to be so stupid and corny to the point that it couldn't get my attention at all, and I hated it. Alexis Bashta asked for my favorite self-help book I've read recently. My favorite self-help book that I've read recently is my favorite self-help book that I've read ever, and it's by Michael Allen Singer, and it's called The Untethered Soul, The Journey Beyond Yourself. I loved that book. That's a book that I took my time with, I really sat with the words, I read them again, lots of highlighting went on in that book, and I found it to be really valuable, especially if you're leaning kind of anxious or maybe a little depressed right now. It could be almost like medicine. Okay, wait, I meant that in a metaphorical way, but you just never know with people like don't take that literally um but stories can be medicine stories can be medicine just not if you actually have um chemical imbalances just wanted to make that very clear very quickly that's my favorite self-help book this is interesting and i'm gonna talk about this when i make a youtube video about all the books that i read this year allison pollock asked can you talk more about the bell jar 
That is a book that for I don't know what reason I can't remember and I read it this year. It is a complete fog to me. I, for the life of me, only have flashes. I remember the beginning of it and I remember the middle of it and I can hardly remember like that three-fourths area. A fourth of that book, I don't remember. And then a fourth of that book is super hazy. I only remember about half of it and only remember 25% of it vividly. And I don't know why. What I was going through at that point in my life, why the comprehension was so low, I could not tell you. And it's been driving me nuts because I've been thinking about that because obviously that's um, a cult classic for a lot of people. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Sophie Ungless asked for one book that everyone should read. I think The Secret History by Donna Tartt. It's especially popular and for good reason. That was a book that I would say is a little bit more slow-paced, but without a doubt worth it. And the writing was beautiful. The story was airtight. The characters are the perfect bunch of unlikable faves. And it was dreamy in a dark way. And it's so unrealistic, but written in a way that feels so true. I loved it. I want everyone to read it because I feel that a lot of people would say that that's not their style and would end up loving it. Name Tasha asks for a book you enjoy that puts you in good spirits. Oprah Winfrey's What I Know For Sure is the sweetest book that I've ever read. She has had quite the journey, quite the life, and for her to have overcome such adversity and maintained and prospered into such a well-rounded positive person is so inspiring because there's this misconception about positivity that people who haven't experienced hardship are the positive ones people who don't understand are the positive ones and the people who really understand are the miserable ones but there's this leap or this this perseverance that a lot of these icons go through where you start off blissfully positive and then you're struck in with trauma and adversity and challenges and obstacles and you see the world for what it is and how dark it can be and a lot of people get stuck there but then there are people who keep moving through and they realize how much there is still to be grateful for and I think Oprah is one of those people and she wrote a book called What I Know For Sure and the premise is that I don't know much. However, these are the handful of things that I know for sure. And each topic has its own chapter and it's so sweet. It's the type of thing that you want a cup of tea, a glass of wine with, and oh, it's just going to leave you feeling really warm in the heart and your spirits are going to be lifted. Shelby asked, how long do you persist through a book that you can't get into? I mean, books are hard to get into. The way that books read at least in my experience the part that I spend the most time on is the first third and then once I get through the first third of the book it starts picking up if it hasn't picked up I just have what's it called I'm stubborn so I'm determined to finish it but I remember pulling teeth I knew from the first third that I didn't care about a certain hunger 
I was like, I'm over this book. And I had to turn to Audible and I started listening to it. And I was listening to it on like 1.2, 1.3, 1.4. I was listening to it on 1.6. And I was like, just get to it. I knew from the beginning that I shouldn't have finished it. But if you're not picking up the pace, I think there's no shame in calling it quits. Just because I don't do that doesn't mean I wouldn't recommend that. Now, how do I persist when I've reached a dry patch? I become the teacher, Miss Lombard, and I read to the imaginary class, and I begin reading the book out loud. And I keep reading the book out loud until I get back involved. Kendall Cully asked for my favorite way to organize my books. I don't believe that my books are organized in the safest way or the most dignified way for the books themselves, but I find it to be very aesthetically pleasing. I put them on their side in stacks. So typically books will be stacked upright with um, bookends on either side. I place my books flat on top of each other and I have a giant vertical stack in my living room and I love to look at it. <laughs> Rennie asked, what do you do immediately when you finish a book? I go to StoryWorth and I type in the book and I say that I completed it and I add it to my reading challenge because nothing gets me moving faster than a challenge. A timer, this is the ADHD brain in me. If I know that I have a timer going, my speed has increased. And I don't know if I would read as many books during the year if I didn't have this little self-made reading challenge that I can check off. I love a to-do list. I love something that can say this was completed. So that is the first thing I do when I finish a book. Favorite book that was made into a show or a movie? This is by Noelle Derlich, The Secret Life of Bees. That was also a book that I saw this question asked a few times that what's a book that made you think about life differently? I was in a very agnostic leaning atheist point of my life and a very dark point of my life um, when my therapist actually gave me The Secret Life of Bees. And I don't think she knew what a profound impact that it would have on me. It was the first book after maybe only reading a handful of books a year because I read books in school. In my young adulthood, I don't remember reading more than a handful of books a year. I would probably get a few recommendations from people and would read a book as like an activity for the month, you know. And then I would see a few nonfiction books. I always enjoyed going to the bookstore and I was picking up, oh my god, I remember when I first graduated high school and I was living on my own. I was 18, 19, obsessed with veganism, specifically the high carb, low fat. I was just constantly in the diet section of of the bookstore reading. Oh my god, I don't even remember. I remember one was called The Starch Solution by Dr. McDougal. Oh my god, so many vegan it, it what was it called 80 90 10 10 or 80 10 10 80 10 10 oh my god i was reading a lot of those um but anyway oh god what a dark time <laughs> hated that Ugh, i wish i looked back on that fondly or with love i don't yet we'll get there but not yet <laughs> what a ramble for what's my favorite book that was made into a show or a movie 
Anyway, you know me, I love to tell a little backstory. And that context being that The Secret Life of Bees had such a profound impact on me. And then when I finished it, I was really looking forward to watching the movie. And the movie was just so well done and so well casted that it did the book justice. And a lot of books don't. I mean, a lot of movies don't. A lot of shows don't. That's my favorite. Pearl Cadigan asked for my favorite book from childhood. This is high school, but I loved The Life of Pi. That was another. I had constantly been ebbing and flowing in my relationship with the beyond and the bigger than myself. And that was one that really explained religion to me. Favorite book from childhood? I mean, I loved the series of unfortunate events. I also loved The Click. I really feel both of those books were good representations of my personality. I was a little Miss Preppy girl that loved a little mystery and loved a little adventure. Ella CMV asked for my thoughts on Otessa Moshvik. For those that don't know, Otessa Moshvik is an author that wrote My Year of Rest and Relaxation, Eileen, Homesick for Another World. She just came out with a new novel recently. And when I read My Year of Rest and Relaxation, which was my first book from her, I love a mentally ill hot protagonist. A hot girl with depression? Sign me up. Say less. And I loved how gross it was. I haven't explored to an answer yet why I appreciate the gross details. Maybe it's because that's such a honest aspect of life that pretty words gloss over. You know, that's part of the story that doesn't sound as sparkly, so it's often left out. And to have a dark story depicted with the elements that aren't so pretty, because there is a way to romanticize illness and and um, isolation and eating disorders and things like that. And when you add a little grit to it, when you add some elements that are disgusting... I don't know, I need to explore that more, but that was the first time I had read something of that sort, and I loved it. So I proceeded to read Eileen, didn't like it as much, and then I read Homesick for Another World, which wasn't a novel, it was a collection of short stories, and I really didn't care for that. However, if you do like Otessa Moshvik, definitely read The Dangers of Smoking in Bed by Mariana. Oh my god, what's her last name? You'll find it if you look it up. Because there's a similar essence to the the grotesque writing. I will say The Dangers of Smoking a Bed is a little bit more dreamy. But they do have that in common. Madeline Nickel asked how to get more interested in nonfiction. I always get bored, sleepy when reading it. I only read nonfiction on something that I'm interested in. If I don't care to learn about it, I'm not going to read it. So for example... When I was really interested in the vegan lifestyle, those were the nonfiction books that I was reading. I loved reading books on nutrition. I loved learning about the science of food. I found it fascinating. If I were to read that today, I'd probably fall asleep. I don't care anymore. I don't care right now. Whereas maybe in high school, if I wasn't super gung-ho on productivity, I would have slept through essentialism. It wouldn't have meant anything to me. Whereas I dove straight into that book. So my advice is to read things that you actually would like to learn about. Madeline Nichol asked for a book 
that I wish I never read. I don't know if there's a book I wish I never read. That's an interesting question. And I wonder if I'll ever have a book I wish I never read. Because I could say a book that I hated, but I don't actively mind that I read it. That's interesting. Mish Peck said, say you write a book. That's the goal. What genre and topics would it be about? Okay, well, I would love... When I read Black Swans by E. Babbitts, I thought to myself, this is the book style that I want to write. Because I don't know if I could handle a full novel on one topic, but short stories seems like a doable task. Who knows? Once I enter my 30s and 40s, I might be capable of more. But if I could find an overarching theme with short stories to include that are a little scandalous, a little thought-provoking, I I would like, I think for the sake of keeping people's names out, it would have to be a fictionalized memoir. Is that a category? But who knows what the future has in store? That's just, that was what my initial thought was. Diana Hill asked for my thoughts on reading becoming trendy again. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Look at us getting so excited over books in a world that has so many screens. How sweet is it that the youth loves to read? Oh, someone just said I'm reading a little life and it's crushing my soul. Ugh. Okay. Do I need that or do I not need that right now? It's the question at the top of my mind. Vale Fardos asked, how do you manage to finish so many books at once? I don't know if it's ever appeared differently, but nine times out of ten, I'm reading one book at a time. The only time I'll have two books that I'm reading at once is if it's nonfiction and fiction, but to my knowledge, I don't believe I've ever read more than one fiction book at once. Nina Barnett asked for any book recommendations to get out of a reading slump. This seems to be a common theme, and my answer is always going to change a little bit because I think to get out of a slump, whether it's a reading slump, a general slump for life, the modes of action change depending on the type of slump. So maybe the key is to just read something that's really enticing, super juicy, a horny thriller like Colleen Hoover. Like, though that wouldn't be my personal mode of getting out of it, maybe that would be what works for you. I did read a BA Paris book once that I found on a stoop. Wow, I haven't talked about stoop books because I'm not picking up books on stoops anymore. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, I can't vouch for other cities, but I know in New York, a lot of times when people are getting rid of books, instead of donating them to actual stores, they will set them on the sidewalk or on the stairs of their stoop outside of their apartment. So I got conversations with friends from a stoop. Um, My year rest and relaxation was from a stoop. And I chose that random, this book I've never heard of before, because typically, oh, I got Valley of the Dolls off a stoop. I got some of my favorite books off stoops, but they were books that I had heard of and wanted to read. This is one of the only times, or one of the few times, I should say, that I chose a book at random. And it was called Behind Closed Doors by B.A. Paris. And that was a fast-paced thriller and I remember reading that after not reading for quite some time and I read it quickly and having that quick accomplishment gave me that source of dopamine to continue reading so it might be something like that that you need okay Nadia Hassanelli said that she needs the hard-hitting facts on why I think that reading preferences do not equal personality 
So a few days ago, after reading some of these darker books and after recording last week's episode where I dove into the pie chart that I... So you know how I said that I document all of the books that I read on Storygraph? They collect the data from all the books that you read and they create stats. So there's a pie chart of the type of books that I read. I was giggling simultaneously being very eye-open to the fact that the type of books that I read are very different from what I would describe my personality to be. So the main themes of books that I was reading were reflective and dark and emotional and the smallest portions of the pie chart were fun funny, lighthearted, inspiring. Like I was reading very tense, informative, mysterious, sad books. And I had posted, I'm glad my mom died. And then the next day I posted the year of magical thinking. So I had created a little antidote in the side saying, if you ever want to know a funny, lighthearted, sweet book, don't ask me because I won't have any recommendations. And I followed up by saying, my personality does not equal my book preferences. And I wonder if that's because I'm constantly exercising these sweeter, more lighthearted, funny, silly, giggly parts of my personality in the actual physical world. So books allow me to exercise the darker, more informative, more serious, more reflective aspects of my personality. I think a lot of people can relate to this in music that they listen to. They might be a very stable, healthy, happy person, but they love to listen to very angry music or very sad music. I don't know for sure if that's the answer, but that's my current hypothesis. Why I don't think that my personality equals my reading preferences. Because you would probably assume from meeting me that I love a lighthearted, silly, giggly book, but God, do I not. Claire Mahoney, one, asked for my favorite part of reading. That's a sweet question and one that I don't know if I've ever asked myself. What is my favorite part of reading? There's many aspects. Um, I like a challenge. I like exercising my brain. I like any chance to get off my phone. I dream of writing a book one day, so reading almost gives me... uh, I'm reading evidence of someone fulfill a dream that I have for myself. I'm a little competitive, so I like the idea of accomplishing a goal and knowing that I have a reading challenge, I'm working towards that goal. I also think that reading calms me down typically, maybe not this past weekend, but it's a positive, healthy pastime. I don't know. I feel like the obvious answer is that it transports you to another world and you get to exist in this whole other life, and I don't think that that's my favorite part about reading. I'm not sure what my favorite part about reading is. Isabella, or A. Isabella, asked, how do you bring yourself to read more throughout the day when you feel you have other shit to do? I mean, comparing it to your screen time. If you have an hour and a half a day to look on Instagram, easy swap, one-to-one swap. I would also say that because reading is such a healthy pastime, it's important to make time for it. Granted, there's plenty of days and even weeks throughout the year that reading is not the priority. When I lived in New York and I took the subway everywhere, I just always took a book with me on the subway and I had idle time every single time that I was on the subway and unless it was an incredibly crowded car where I had no elbow room or personal space whatsoever, I'd be reading. So that was another like one-to-one 
association and or replacement. If I'm going on the subway, I have a book in my hand, always. If I desire to go on Instagram, I will open up a book instead. But if you're like very busy and it's just not the time, that's okay. You don't need to be reading every single day your whole life. Laura Rayner is bringing up something specific to Cleopatra and Frankenstein. She said, good feminism plot, but the characters were all unlikable for sure. I'm trying to think of a character that I did like. None of them really. But that's what they were. They felt human because of that. They felt incredibly flawed. Sometimes you don't want an idol. Sometimes you want an equal or even worse, you want someone that's a little below you, beneath you, that isn't as evolved. And you get to watch them fumble and make mistakes and have an ego boost. Sometimes it's a shallow desire. Emma Dawson asked, what's a line or passage that stuck with you from something you've read recently? Oh, it was so simple, but it came from the year of magical thinking. So John is Joan's husband that died, and they were speaking to their daughter, Quintana. Wow, I've never said her name out loud. You know, and there's a character name that you were reading in your head. I mean, she's a real person. Um, but you know when there's a name that you've been reading and you haven't said it out loud? You're like, oh, is that how it sounds? Quintana? That's how I was saying it in my head. I digress. Uh, She had, within the year, lost someone to murder and suicide. And she was just a little angry. She's like, all of these kids in my school have these simple, happy little lives. And not only have I had one loss, I've had two this year. And John says, it all evens out. And my God, that gave me so much peace because I've dealt with so much loss at such a young age. My grandparents were second sets of parents to me and they were completely involved with my upbringing. I was spending just as much time with my grandparents as I was my parents. And I held a lot of jealousy and resentment towards people that have never experienced loss because I was pissed. But ultimately, it all evens out. Everyone's going to experience loss everyone's gonna have hardships some people have a really bad childhood and some people don't start experiencing their adversity until their 50s or their 60s or their 70s but it all evens out and that line stuck with me i love this someone said when's your book coming out parentheses i'm manifesting for you oh guys i just don't know if i'm not ready yet this is not the time i want to live a little bit more but I should start practicing. I do have some of my short stories that I want to share written, but I just feel they'll be a replace the ones that I have bookmarked and drafts written for the book. I think that they'll be replaced. But I love that you're manifesting for me. Can't wait for you guys to read my book one day. And on that note, thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. If you have any book recommendations for me, you can slide in my DMs on Instagram. There's also a reading group chat on the Geneva that I'll link. And look out for my YouTube video to document the 24 hours that I spent reading. We're only one third of the way into the challenge. And I'm sure I will have a lot of thoughts after the next two thirds of this. And look forward to another episode next week. Thank you all so much. I love you. XOXO. Lexi.